0: Hey everybody, how's it going? This is Hub, and welcome back to another episode of Tighten Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. As I believe I just mentioned, my name's Hub, and I hope you're having a fine whenever the heck it is you end up listening to this. Me? I'm doing pretty darn good, actually. I'm all hopped up on discount Easter candy, and last night... My beloved Portland Trailblazers basketball organization just uh, won their playoff series in a very dramatic fashion. Damian Lillard, who is amazing, hit a game-winning three-point buzzer beater from nearly half court and was super calm when he did it. And after he did it and the crowd is going nuts, he calmly turned to the opposing team and waved goodbye at them, which was fucking awesome. So that made me think a few things, actually. The first one of those thoughts was, Hooray! And then I jumped up and down a bunch and was super happy. My second thought was, There's this thing that Damian Lillard does where when he starts making a bunch of shots, he starts tapping his wrist to indicate that it's Lillard time. Which is fun. And it made me think, Oh man, I should Photoshop his face onto the cover of the Morris Day and the Time album cover. What time is it? And then I thought, oh, also, I should learn to do Photoshop, and then I thought, oh, well, I'm not going to do that. Instead, maybe I will just daydream about what kind of crowd taunts I would use if I were winning an NBA playoff series. And so there's a bunch of established ones. There's the obvious, Michael Jordan sticking out his tongue while he dunks. There's the Dikembe Mutombo wagging your finger after you block somebody to say, no, 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 you cannot make that basketball shot. Reggie Miller had like 50 different taunt moves he used when he was playing the Knicks. That was always a good time. But I think what I would go for would be that after making the game-winning basket, I would turn to the opposing team and hand each of them an envelope that detailed the conditions of my rich uncle Mortimer's will, that stated that if myself and the Oklahoma City Thunder spent the night in his haunted mansion, then we would split equally his entire inheritance. And the Thunder would think it over and have their lawyers look at it and see that it was in fact legally binding, and then we would all go up to my... Uncle Mortimer's mansion, and we would spend the night and there would be scary ghosts and probably Russell Westbrook would die. But after the end, we would come out of it with a a feeling of renewed camaraderie and real accomplishment. And we'd all learned something about each other and ourselves. And that's when there would be the big reveal. A second envelope would come out, which would reveal the fact that the real treasure was me dunking on them. And then I would dunk on them. And then I would have that dunk notarized. Anyway, we got a comic book to talk about. So without any further ado, let's, uh, do this. Today's Synopsis Rhyme is submitted by Tom Russell. If you have two Death Strokes, you'll have a pair of Cyclopses. But if you have a human man from Earth, he'll give a synopsis. Synopsis. Thanks, Tom. And seeing as I am, as I have stated many times before, a human man from Earth... Guess I'd better give you a synopsis. Tales of the Teen Titans, number 53. May, 1985. Devil on the Wing. I mean, actually the word angel is written before devil, but then angel is crossed out, so I guess it's wordplay based on Joan Zeller's memoir Angel on the Wing. Zing! Take that, Joan Zeller, a stewardess who survived a 1959 plane crash that claimed 65 lives. You've just been dunked on, Wolfman style. Oh, wait, I guess it's from a William Blake poem about larks or some shit. Okay, sorry, Joan. Written by Marv Wolfman, drotted by Rich Buckler, inked by Mike DiCarlo, lettered by Phil Felix, and coloreded by Adrienne Roy. No editor is listed on this one, which, after reading the issue, kind of makes sense. Teen Titan Lineup, Wonder Girl, Starfire, Nightwing, Cyborg, Beast Boy, and Lilith. Previously in Tales of the Teen Titans. In the aftermath of firmament-flinging former teen titan Terra betraying her teammates and accidentally eviling herself to death, our heroes apprehended the duplicitous Dirt Distributor's co-conspirator, Slade Wilson, a.k.a. Deathstroke the Terminator, a superpowered assassin who uses 90% of his brain but only 50% of his eyeballs. As the monocular mercenary awaited trial, an increasingly agitated Beast Boy began acting like even more of an asshole than usual, and insisted petulantly that he be present in the courtroom at every stage of the pre-trial. Raven has been off in a pocket dimension, standing on a stalagmite and yelling about her feelings. Jericho has been off having some adventures in a lazily named racially insensitive caricature of the Middle East. And a newlywed Donna has been off honeymooning in Greece. So to boast of the team's depleted roster, former Titan Lilith, a red-haired occasional psychic who had been in town for Donna's wedding, agreed to hang out and lend a hand. Hooray! Things took a turn for the dramatic when on a recent errand to Star Labs, the gang encountered an amnesiac alien angel that some researchers had found frozen in the ice. An inexplicable power surge thawed out the ice-encased extraterrestrial who, despite being unable to communicate, felt an immediate and overwhelming connection with Lilith. Lilith's ESP flared up and informed the Auburn Trust teen that her life would never be the same. GAD How will the Titans respond to Lilith's existential crisis? Given that they have a member who is a flying alien who was initially unable to communicate with them, how will the gang react to a new character who is in a similar predicament? And is there anyone whose temperament is worse suited to court proceedings than Beast Boy? Stay tuned to find out. Okay, so, by playing tennis and ignoring her, they chase him around and try to punch him, and, actually, yes, there is this one guy. Wonder Girl and her new husband, community college professor Terry Long, have just returned from their honeymoon and are hanging out at the Titan Tower. While Cyborg fiddles around with the team's new holographic projector, Dick and Corianderer play some mixed doubles tennis against the newlyweds. Don and Terry are handily winning their match, which surprises me, but maybe it shouldn't. I mean, with her height and speed, Starfire's a natural serve and volley player, which is usually more effective on grass courts and the Titans Tower has a hard court. Also, She has never played tennis before. Or heard of it. Which I guess puts her at a slight disadvantage. The foursome take a break from their match so that Donna and Terry can gloat about their victory, and Vic can show them what a good job he did fixing the Titans' holodeck. Sweet! While Dick ponders the possibility of programming himself some Dixon Hill-style mystery adventures, Lilith makes her way towards the T-shaped skyscraper to meet up with the rest of her teammates. The temperamentally telepathic teen hops on the robotic barge that ferries the non flying titans to and from their headquarters, but her commute is dramatically interrupted by the arrival of Deathstroke the Terminator, who loudly announces both his name and his intention to kill Lilith. Huh, I thought that dude was in jail. The depth perception deficient Death Dealer's would be victim easily avoids the laser blast that is fired at her by jumping into the river. As she does so, the agile adventuress wonders why her Lilith senses didn't start tingling and warn her of impending danger. That is weird. I guess if I was pressed, I could maybe come up with a couple of reasons why that might be the case. One, Lilith's powers have never worked that way. And B, for all of his bluster and panache, Deathstroke is historically pretty bad at actually killing people. But... I'm sure the actual explanation is nothing so banal as Slade's canonical incompetence. After swimming the rest of the way to the tower, the now soggy psychic informs her friends of what just went down. Cyborg is concerned, but also confused. It turns out that he just got off the phone with the district attorney, and Slade is indeed still in custody. The rest of the gang is similarly confused by what just happened, but at Terry Long's insistence, elect to express that concern by resuming their tennis match while they half-listen to Lilith recount the details of her recent brush with death. Damn it, Terry! Lilith tells her alleged friends that ever since she met that amnesiac alien angel, she's been getting psychic flashes of increasing intensity, informing her that her life is about to undergo drastic, irrevocable changes. Nightwing is like, Wow, Lilith, that sounds, um, bad? Right? Oh, damn it! I just missed an easy forehand. Shit. Look, I'm sorry about your foreboding premonitions and the fact that a few minutes ago you were the victim of attempted murder, but I got problems too, you know. I just lost another tennis game to Terry fucking Long. Meanwhile, across town, the pretrial proceedings continue in the case of New York State versus Slade Wilson. The presiding judge is a familiar-looking blonde man who... Oh, shit. No fucking way. (sighs) Someone went ahead and made the world's worst district attorney, Adrian Chase, a goddamn judge. What the actual fuck? Last time we saw this sad sack fuckwit, he was running around in a ski mask murdering people as a vigilante who went by the imaginative nom de guerre, VIGILANTE. And now he's a judge. Gross. Over at Star Labs, the scientists are doing a bunch of tests on the winged weirdo that Lilith has been fixated on. The Titans stop by to see how things are going. Turns out that how things are going is not great. Lilith senses that the tests are causing her new alien amigo a great deal of pain. She rushes in to intervene, but the scientists say it isn't safe in there and try to stop her. A lab tech tries to grab her arm, but Lilith is radiating such intense heat from her hands that the interloper is badly burned. Well, that's new. The newly pyrokinetic teen... Wait, telepyric, pyric? Psycho... The new fire-making teen rushes in and frees the winged alien from the chemical bath that had apparently been causing him distress. She explains to her teammates that she can sense that the alien is special and will be instrumental in unlocking the secrets of her mysterious past, which have plagued her since her inception as a character. Nightwing responds, What? I'm sorry, I wasn't paying attention. I was still thinking about how Terry beat me at tennis. Anyway, whatever it is you said probably didn't make sense. I just decided, apropos of nothing, that that angel-looking guy is probably mind-controlling you. Hey, Starfire, get in there and attack them for their own good, okay? Starfire is like, um, okay, I guess. Despite being an alien who is experimented on by scientists against her will, I will help recapture this alien so that scientists can experiment on him against his will. Starfire moves in on Lilith and her feathered pal. But Lilith starts radiating heat at a rate faster than the space princess can absorb, and the overloaded orange ingenue is forced to flee before she explodes. Unable to accept the notion that Lilith might have some agency over her actions, Dick rushes in to save her from the alien who he randomly decided must be hypnotically controlling her. So Lilith blasts him with a laser that shoots out of her forehead, which is I guess a thing that she can do now. Hooray! Donald knocks Nightwing out of the way, and Cyborg steps in and shoots a sonic blast that knocks Lilith out. The alien angel decides that even though he is inexplicably in love with Lilith, he'd better skedaddle, because if he sticks around, she might get hurt. The Titans chase the feathered fugitive all over New York City. During the chase, they get the impression that he's not such a bad guy. He's not. They wish they didn't have to fight him. They don't. But they just don't have any choice in the matter. Yes, they do. Cyborg jumps off a building at him twice, and misses. Also, I guess his hydraulics must be out of whack, because both times he freaks out that he doesn't know how to land, and Starfire has to rescue him. It'd be kinda cute if they weren't harassing a frightened stranger for no reason. Back in court, the former world's worst district attorney, current world's worst judge, has to reprimand Beast Boy for not realizing that this isn't one of those call-and-response courtrooms, and you can't just yell out whatever shit you're thinking. See... When the DA was listing the charges against Slade Wilson, Gar couldn't stop himself from yelling, What about the time he murdered me? What about that? Seriously, dude, you are not helping. Fucking beast boy. Meanwhile, the Titans are still chasing the frightened flying fugitive around the city. Every once in a while, they'll catch up with him and feel bad about the fact that they're punching him and shooting space fire at him for no reason. I mean, not so bad that they stopped doing it, but still, kind of bad. At one point, Starfire gets a hold of him and tries to employ her lesser-known power of absorbing alien language through physical contact. For some reason, it doesn't work. Weird. The amnesiac alien thinks to himself, Even though they are attacking me for no reason, these guys don't seem so bad. I wish they'd stop hitting me. Also, I wish I didn't have amnesia. Oh well. Then he finally manages to shake his pursuers. The Titans are like, Well, I guess three-quarters of an issue is as much time as we can devote to chasing that guy for no reason. We're supposed to be in court soon to testify in Deathstroke's trial. Let's go see if Gar has fucked up so badly that the case has been thrown out of court. Amazingly, he hasn't. Yet. The defense attorney tries to keep the Titans from testifying on the reasonable-sounding grounds that they are masked vigilantes. But... It turns out that there's a fair amount of legal precedent in the DCU for masked crime fighters testifying in court. Fair enough. Wilson's lawyer then brings up that Deathstroke himself is usually wearing a mask. So, how can they be sure it was him? Wasn't one of the Titans attacked this morning by Deathstroke while Slade himself was locked up in jail? Ah, so that's what that was about. Then, when that stockbroker that Deathstroke kidnapped a while ago tries to testify, He admits under oath that he never saw Slade's face and that his abductor always used a voice modifier as well. Horrified that Slade Wilson might be found not guilty, Gar forgets about that reprimand he received earlier and stands up and yells, "No!" Man, when someone explains to the world's worst judge, Adrian Chase, what the phrase contempt of court means, Beast Boy is going to be in so much trouble. Also, now that they have a working holodeck, I sure hope that the Titans limit Gar's unsupervised time in there. I mean, best case scenario, he uses it the way Data did to hang out with Joe Piscopo. And that's the best case scenario. I just hope there's a wing of that T-shaped building that's just pretty much a silo full of disinfectant, because the Titans are going to need it. Joining us once again is my good-for-many-things brother, Cory.
1: Cory, how are you doing? I'm fine. That sounds like a lie. It's gray outside, and I'm um, tired of it because we got a nice day, and now it's a shitty day. Mm, and the I would, contrast. I would like the nice day back, please. I don't think that's the way the time works. Nope. Also, this comic wasn't my favorite comic in the world.
0: No. It made me angry many times. I mean, part of that is... Cory. Yep. I am like the bottom of a newborn only child with overprotective parents. I am thoroughly wiped.
1: (laughs) (laughs) What are they protecting him (laughs) from?
0: I just think that they would probably really get him (laughs) mad. Do a good job.
1: I'm sorry you feel that way. (laughs)
0: I'm very tired.
1: (laughs) I, I get it. That's what I'm saying. I get it.
0: It's been a long week. Yeah. And, yeah, this comic didn't help. Didn't help the week get shorter. Didn't help the week get shorter. Nope. Bad job comic book. I mean, we've talked before about comic books where there was just so much comic book in that comic book. hmm And that can be frustrating in a different way. This comic is barely a comic. Although, we did get to see the Titans play tennis. Which is what the cover promised. Mm-hmm. I honestly thought there would be maybe some more twists to it than that. I feel like it's kind of a trope. I know, like, it happens with the X-Men, like, when they're resetting after a story arc, they'll all have, like, a basketball game and some fun hijinks will ensue as they use their powers or whatever. This time, it's just Donna and Terry are back from their honeymoon, Mm -hmm. and they beat Dick and Coriander at tennis. A bunch. Yep. That's, like, all Donna,
1: right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, Starfire wasn't familiar with the game, so she fell down and missed some balls. But Dick played it cool. He didn't get mad at her. Like, I thought he was probably gonna get mad that he was losing. I mean, I'm to sure he was. fucking Terry Long. Yeah, but he, uh...
0: They were actually pretty cute in that scene with mm-hmm. each other. They had some fun banter. All of them were pretty cute. I liked the idea of Donna and Terry being kind of playfully sore winners about it, and coriander and dick being playfully sore losers about it but there were a couple of things about the scene other than the fact that i was expecting a few more hijinks that kind of bothered me about it the main one being terry long who i think we will agree had very little to do with his team's victory Mm -hmm. I, i mean i know that they're new to the game but like they are top level athletes one of whom has superpowers So, if they are losing that badly, that has got to be just Wonder Girl using her crazy Amazon shit. And, yes, it was Terry and Wonder Girl, but it could have been a fucking toaster and Wonder Girl that would have won that match.
1: A toaster.
0: Um, it's a device that you put bread in, and then the bread comes out hotter and burned.
1: It has to be able to hold a tennis racket, though. You can just rest it on top. Oh, just... Throw boats both on the ground. Yeah. I get it. I get it. I understand. <laughs> I've unpacked this metaphor. Okay.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Um, but Terry's like, woohoo, we're winning. I'm winning at something. Yay. It's me. I'm Terry Long. Oh, that's human
1: nature. Yes, it is human nature. If you're only peripherally involved with something that goes great, don't you just enjoy that feeling? Yeah. I do.
0: Yeah, I guess. I mean, Juwan Howard got a ring with the Miami Heat, just like everybody else. I get Terry wanting to gloat and wanting to be like, woo, we did it. Yeah. But the fact that when Lilith shows up and Deathstroke the Terminator has apparently just tried to murder her and she also is having psychic premonitions that are a huge bother for her and she is worried about her own life and thinking that the very nature of her existence is about to change. Terry's like, hey, maybe we could play another game while we're talking about this. Yep. That's a dick move, man.
1: That was very jarring. Further, the fact that everybody else was like, oh yeah, good point. You know, sorry you almost just now got killed, Lil. Let's play tennis while we talk about it. Yeah. And they're laughing and having a jolly old time while she's all freaked out.
0: They do not treat Lilith well in this issue. And that was one of the things that made me mad. In fact, it was the thing that made me maddest. Was the extent to which they just don't listen to Lilith. Despite, during that tennis match, Dick makes the point that her premonitions are always, 100% of the time, right. They always come true without fail. It has never happened that her premonitions are wrong.
1: Like that one time she sensed danger during that fight. Exactly, she was right. Uh She was 100% right. People were literally shooting at them. (laughs) Right. It was very dangerous.
0: And she could sense that it was Mm -hmm. dangerous. Mm -hmm. So yeah, okay, that is maybe her putting the finger on the scales of her powers. But the fact that from Dick's perspective, her premonitions are always right and he trusts them 100% of the time. Then a few pages later, she says, my premonitions are telling me that I should protect this man and that's what we should do. And he's like, oh, obviously you're being mind controlled. No, just
1: listen to her. She's your friend. Listen to your fucking friend when she's telling you shit. There is a lot of waffling in this issue of people not just not listening to their friends, but not listening to themselves. And just being like, this doesn't feel right, but we're just going to go with it. And this is a whole issue full of suckers. Everybody, it, yeah. It
0: doesn't, their motivations make no goddamn sense. They decide they have to attack the space alien. Uh, to protect Lilith by beating her up? That doesn't make any sense. They decide that, oh, we have to do this. And all of them are thinking,
1: I wish we didn't have to do this, but we do have to do it. Nobody explains why they have to do it. They don't even explain what they have to do other than that they want to apprehend this guy. And then what? Send him back to Star Labs for more testing? Yeah. Uh, Take him back to the clubhouse and play tennis? Nobody knows. Yeah, well,
0: and that's the other thing, is that in the very last issue, Starfire, an alien from space, had been asked by the scientists at Star Labs, hey, can we poke and prod you and study you for tests? And she was like, no, that super sucks. People did that to me before. And yeah, it gave me superpowers, but I fucking hated it. And it was an incredibly traumatic and invasive experience. And Dick is like, yeah, don't do that to her. Leave her the fuck alone. And then their whole approach to this guy is, Well, he's an alien, so you should do invasive tests on him, and you have to keep him contained and capture him and keep him in this lab. Why? Because he has superpowers? Fucking, I got news for you guys. You live in the DC universe. Everybody's got superpowers. Do you have to arrest them all and beat them up and try to contain them and capture them for no reason? It can't be done. No, nor should it. It's garbage.
1: You're really fired up.
0: Yeah, well, I made a list of things that pissed me off in this issue. Okay, so that was one and two. That was one and two. And the other really big one, Judge Adrian Chase. Worst idea ever, man. World's worst district attorney.
1: World's worst fucking trigger-happy vigilante. It's like whoever appointed him didn't even know that he showed up in the vigilante comics. It's ridiculous. He should
0: have to refuse himself. Not just from this case, because it involves people who he had been previously involved with. It is incredibly unethical of him to serve
1: as a judge for this trial. Oh, that is right in his wheelhouse. He hates the law so much. Jeff Sessions. (laughs) Okay,
0: okay. Second worst judge ever.
1: (laughs) Sessions recused himself, man. (laughs) Yeah. That's how bad this guy is. God, I don't know what his social justice politics are, so Chase may be be a little better in that respect, but I doubt it.
0: You can make a pretty safe assumption of what his social justice policies are, given that he is a hard-nosed district attorney who has no problem circumventing the law to prosecute who he thinks is guilty, regardless of evidence. What could
1: go wrong? (sighs) He's a piece of shit. I'm so mad that he got made a judge. Yep. I was literally shaking my head when, uh... I turned to that page. Uh, I felt almost like acting like
0: Beast Boy and just yelling shit in court at the judge. What would you have yelled? I don't know. What What would I have yelled? How do you heckle a judge? I Maybe I would just keep yelling overruled at him. Uh, I bet they hate that. <laughs> they totally hate that. You'd better be going somewhere with this. Oh, yeah. That would be a good l- legal, thing to yell Legal at heckling? Yeah, just, yeah, legal heckling. Mm-hmm. But what Beast Boy does is he just yells whatever he's thinking at the time. And part of that is the district attorney, who seems to be doing a pretty good job. I mean, granted, the bar has been lowered pretty far by one Adrian Chase, who is now apparently a fucking judge. But in comparison to Adrian Chase, seems like the district attorney is doing a pretty good job. He is saying what the charges are, and he's not done saying them when just starts yelling, what about the time he murdered me? Yeah, <laughs> I was like, did he leave out a word? Like, attempted to murder me? Or... I think he might have technically been dead. That was the time they had to bring it, drag his ass over to Amazon Island and shoot him with the Purple Ray. Oh, right, yeah, Castro killed him. But that does not make you a credible witness when you yell in court, oh, yeah, and he murdered me. Yeah. I mean... I got better,
1: but yeah, you're not helping your case, Gar. The defense lawyer really did put his finger on the whole problem with the disguise thing and the DC universe and, well, really anywhere, right? Like the guy's voice is disguised, his body is disguised, Uh his face is disguised, and you're like, nope, that was totally the dude.
0: Yeah, I know it was. And that seems to be everybody's takeaway is, I know it was. The one thing that the defense attorney is not able to establish is that the Teen Titans cannot testify. And I did enjoy this little bit of, like, DC Universe legal precedent that they threw in there, that it has been established in 1979 in the case of Joker versus the Batman that a well-established crime fighter with a good reputation can protect their secret identity even in a court of law. I mean, it's nonsense, but it's fun nonsense. And I appreciated that.
1: But it also partly dismantles the guy's argument, right? So if you trust somebody wearing a mask with the secret identity to testify under oath in court, then maybe somebody saying... And then maybe wearing a mask is inherently a trustworthy thing to do? Right. <laughs> it's like there's that, that lie to that MF Doom song where he says, just because somebody wear a mask don't mean that they did nothing. Hmm...
0: That is a a good point. It's an
1: illegal illegal setting in that song, too.
0: Oh, so there are perhaps multiple precedents to
1: clear Deathstroke of any wrongdoing. Yeah, yeah. We have mid-80s DCU Mm -hmm. president. Sure. And uh, late-90s hip-hop president. Yeah. Airtight case. Free Slade Wilson.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But the other thing that Gar yells is he doesn't like how the case is going, he's been reprimanded to not yell things out in court, and he still ends the issue by when a questioning of a witness doesn't go how he wants, he just stands up and yells, No! What a jackass. (laughs) The other thing is, there's no reason for him to be in court. He's only hurting his side's argument. And he could have potentially, for once in his goddamn life, been useful to the Teen Titans. Hmm. When they are first scuffling with the alien angel guy mm-hmm. and Lilith, Dick is for some goddamn reason convinced that Lilith must be mind controlled. Because I guess that's easier than listening to her. But if you want to know if somebody is mind controlled, here's how you test it. Oh, uh, baboon. No, no, no. You get Beast Boy in there, have him turn into a cat.
1: Oh, does he strangle a she strangle him? If she
0: strangles him. She is mind-controlled. If she does not, then she is showing exceedingly poor judgment, because you should always strangle Beast Boy, (laughs) but she is probably not mind-controlled. So, because he is so devoted to ruining this court case, he is, uh, causing this whole kerfuffle with this, uh, amnesiac alien angel. Bad job, Beast Boy. He does do a bad job. Mm Mm-hmm. I also feel like when the Teen Titans are testifying against Deathstroke and the defense attorney is saying, like, how can we trust them when we don't know their real identities? The uh, prosecuting attorney could have just been like, come on, it's the Teen Titans. They barely have secret identities. Pretty much We're really just humoring are, them. Everybody knows who they are. Yeah. So, I guess bad job district attorney? but not as bad a job as uh, Adrian Chase would have done. It's a lot of bad jobs to hand around. Bad job on this issue all around everybody. With an exception, nice cover. Not bad job, George Perez and Romeo Tangal working together on the cover of this
1: issue. It's very uh, evocative. It certainly is. How shocked the Teen Titans are. Yeah, so
0: it is a shot of the Teen Titans... But it is shot through the amnesiac alien angel's legs, and they just look horrified and disturbed and shocked. And it really just looks like they're staring at his ding dong. And they are just like, "What the fuck?"
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, AAA's got something. So, Corey, what do you think up is what do you think is up with that dude's alien ding dong? Well, I haven't had a lot of time to think about it. Well, it looks, I think from the rest of the drawings, like, he's, um, uh, how do you say that? Like, he's got a pretty tight-fitting outfit, but it doesn't he really reveal very no much. no outfit over that part. Oh. It really just looks like he is
0: a Ken doll down there. Oh, yeah. There are a few shots in which it really, he appears to have a smooth genital-less crotch. But, given their reaction on the cover, my suspicion is that it is actually just too hideous for our minds to fixate on, too strange, too weird, too alien for our minds to even focus on. So I think that our minds are just glossing over a seriously strange and eldritch alien ding-dong, like some kind of Lovecraftian horror lurks between his legs, and we do not know its nature. At least I do not know his nature. So I guess my question to you, Corey, is what kind of strange and eldritch Lovecraftian ding-dong does this angel
1: man have? I don't know, but if that goat's got a thousand young, that ding-dong did some serious work. (laughs) little H.P. Lovecraft joke there (laughs) It's well done,
0: Corey. Thanks. (laughs) Oof, the lurking fear. (laughs) Young, check off. One of the things that both Beast Boy and Cyborg are upset about is that they repeatedly say that Deathstroke should be executed for his crimes. Cyborg saying he should be hanged and Beast Boy saying that he should be executed, I think is actually the word that he uses, and that he's not going to be satisfied unless that's the outcome of the case. Mm -hmm. They're in New York. There hasn't been a death penalty executed in New York since 1963. And if they're going to start doing it, I wouldn't think it would be for the listed crimes that he has of property damage, possession of an illegal weapon, and not just kidnapping, Corey.
1: Hmm.
0: Malicious kidnapping. Oh. This is not a benign
1: kidnapping. (laughs) It's good to (laughs) clear that up. It's like, he was going to eat that cheeseburger. (laughs) It was really bad for him. I had to... Had to stop him. Had to stop him. Just had to
0: kidnap him for his own good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't one of those. Okay.
1: Okay. It's not a benign cheeseburger napping, it's a...
0: No, it's a malicious kidnapping. bad. Of a stockbroker. Real bad. I wouldn't think necessarily death penalty bad. Not punishable by death, It's odd, it really does once again call into question how good an assassin is Deathstroke the Terminator. Has he ever successfully killed anyone? I know Beast Boy holds him responsible for Terra eviling herself to death, but at best it seems like he's an accessory to that. Yeah, he's no Cheshire. No, she's straight up murdering Gertz left and right. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Have we seen Deathstroke actually kill anybody? I can't remember. I don't think we have.
0: Yeah, other than Beast Boy. But, you know, he got better. He got better, yeah. I think maybe he killed a bunch of hive guys. I have vague memories of that having been the case. But those are barely guys, and come on, they would have died anyway. Yeah, that's the worst organized... Nobody should work for Hive. I don't think anybody does anymore. I'm pretty sure... Didn't we establish that it's now being run by Rudy, who was like the only guy off base when everything went all higgledy-piggledy? Higgledy-piggledy?
1: Yeah. I always you heard know. it higgly piggledy
0: Oh, that's a different kind of thing. Higgledy-piggledy is uh, when it's underwater and your base explodes. Oh, that makes sense. It has a more yeah. watery sound. Yeah. It's like a sea-strengthened higgly-piggly. hmm Higgledy-piggledy. hmm bub There was kind of a funny point in which Cyborg is fighting the angel guy for no goddamn reason and saying that he wishes he wasn't fighting the guy. And he calls him Feathers. hmm And I wonder if that was confusing for Dick Because he also went by the nickname Feathers when he was undercover as a hippie. hippie. Mm. I wonder if that was maybe Cyborg razzing him a little bit. If any time he gets the excuse to call somebody Feathers, he does. And maybe he also works in like a Paradise Baby and a Wet and Wild. If Wonder Girl and Aqualad are around. So he heard a story about... I'm sure it's come up. Mm-hmm. It was probably a widely reported story. I mean, there was the troubadour guy who was narrating all of their adventures through song.
1: He may have released a single of that. These are the days before the internet? Yeah. Before the World Wide Web? Yeah, and... there were no
0: YouTube videos of the Teen Titans this going undercover. This was all just as... like
1: real to real cassettes being like handed... Oh, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. There's some VHS tapes, I think, at this point that are probably being traded in dorm rooms. Betamax. Yeah, just like, you gotta see this! Look at this weird video of these three hippies, man. Four! Four. Because Feet was with them, too. Feet! How could could you forget Feet? How could I forget old Feet? One of the other things that I thought was kind of funny that happened in this issue is when Donna and Terry were talking about their honeymoon, Dick brought up the fact that he and Batman solved a case in Greece one time. Mm -hmm. But the way that he phrased it is like, the Batman and I solved a crime there a couple years ago. It always cracks me up when anybody calls Batman the Batman, but it especially cracks me up When it's Dick, who is probably the closest dude to the Batman in the world. Does that strike you when he calls Batman the Batman? Is that more like when somebody's calling a teacher by their first name? Or is it more like... I know it's weird because you actually did call your teachers by their first name, right? When you were in high school? Yeah. Multnomah Learning Center? Uh, Metropolitan Learning Center. Oh, sorry. MLC. It would have been MLC regardless. We've had this conversation before. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's okay. <laughs> or is it more like if I were to refer to a close friend by their full name every time?
1: I think it's, yeah, it's more like saying, like, mister, like putting an honorific of some sort. It strikes me more as like if we were both really close friends
0: with somebody named Biff Turkle would say, and every time I referred to him, I was just like. I'm going over to Biff Turklewood's house. Me and me and my friend Biff Turklewood. And you're like,
1: yeah, I know Biff. Why are you doing that? Yeah, it, it does seem weird. I don't know why he says it. And I also don't quite understand the reason for the inconsistency with the use of the article in front of Batman because sometimes it's there, sometimes it's not.
0: I wonder if it's supposed to be an editorial mandate by DC. It it seems like a sometimes thing where sometimes they will enforce that, no, we need to call him the Batman. It's more intimidating. We want him to have more gravitas as a character. Everybody should call him the Batman all the time. And then other times they just kind of forget about that and are like, yeah, this is the same dude who, you know, wears his costume when he's strutting around in the middle of the day and flying coach on airplanes wearing his bat suit the way he used to in like the 60s, you know? I feel like maybe they were trying to establish a more grim and gritty feel for him and referring to him as the Batman, because it does have more of a feel to it like that.
1: Yeah, like he's a, a boogeyman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes him seem more mythic almost. Yeah, because otherwise they'd just be throwing that around. The Superman,
0: the Aquaman. Those sound pretty cool, actually. They should start doing that. Will you maybe start calling me the hub? Hmm... <laughs>
1: Oh, we'll, we'll you're, see you're not going to are you it just feels i don't know are there other languages like maybe spanish where that people use an article in front of somebody's name when they're referring to them i don't think a definite article at any rate
0: hmm. i mean you wouldn't want an indefinite article like it would be weird if i was like yeah, i was hanging out with a cory the other day <laughs> like oh which one <laughs> ah you know a cory yeah Oh, it would I, be definitely a ranking thing if it was uh, just like, who were you hanging out with the other day? I was hanging out with The Hub and a Cory. Ouch. Yeah. It's harsh. Yeah. I wonder if maybe that when he is really pissed off at Batman, he just calls him a Batman. Who did you go to Greece with? A Batman. You know, <laughs> just just a Batman. One of them. Yeah. Fuck it. Yep. You ready to get into the minutiae? Sure. Rick, would you mind singing us in?
1: We got minutia. It's not the biggest part, it's just minutia.
0: Like Cory eating farts, we got minutia. Time to sweat the small stuff. Thanks, Rick. Corey, what was your favorite sound effect? Well, out of the two, maybe, no, there, there was were, a couple There more. were a few.
1: There were a lot of repeats of them, but we
0: had a lot of screes going on.
1: So on the assumption that we cannot count the noise that Starfire makes when she flies out of the window at Star Labs.
0: I'm counting it. That was my favorite because it is illustrated as though it is a sound effect, but it is the sound effect that accompanies her flying through the roof of Star Labs is, let me out. She wants out. She does, and I like when it is illustrated as a sound effect. I like liminal sound effects that are like, is that a sound effect? One of my favorites that's been cropping up a bunch for me lately is on the backs of some of the Defenders comics that we've been covering is a basketball ad that features Dr. J on it, and it has the sound effect, slam dunk. Hmm, pretty good. I mean, you know, if your basketball has the Spalding touch, then you can slam dunk. And it makes the sound slam
1: dunk. Mm-hmm. You can be a real Eddie the Otter. Not just any otter. Eddie the Otter. Slam dunking basketballs. Pleasuring himself in heaven. Eddie. Eddie.
0: I agree that it's kind of a cheat, but it was definitely my favorite sound effect. I'm going with Let Me Out
1: with six Ts. Yeah, so I like that one. Um, In addition to the liminal sound effects, I also like graphical sound effects. Mm-hmm. Or graphic sound effects. And sure. on that same page, there's a Scraw Blam uh, when Lilith has gotten her cyclops-like powers and is shooting a ray out of her face. I mean, it's not technically
0: a cyclops-like power because her beams are heat-based, whereas cyclopses are force beams. They do Um, say
1: that it's very hot. That's true. So
0: just uh, just saying it's not that much like cyclops it honestly looks more than anything else like one of the mindless ones from the old defenders comics where it really looks like she's just shooting a beam out of her entire face but sorry continue to
1: describe this sound effect it is scrablam and the scrab part of it follows the trajectory of her heat face beam Mm-hmm. And the blam part is perpendicular to that, but lining up perfectly to make kind of a upside-down T in the explosion part. It looks really cool. It looks really cool. And it is like the words
0: themselves are causing the explosion that is forcing Donna and Dick off
1: of their feet. Mm-hmm. And it's just an action-packed panel. Uh, Donna is flying sideways through the air, basically tackling Dick. Mm-hmm. to uh, get him out of the way yeah he doesn't want to explode
0: Mm-mm. man in this issue
1: he's bad at
0: tennis he's bad at listening and he's bad at not getting blown up by his pals that he's not
1: listening to yep good thing wonder girl was there to beat him at tennis and uh, tackle him mm-hmm. did you find yourself a timestamp stamp in this issue i did It was on page one, and it is Cyborg as he's uh, merrily working on the hollow graphic projector thing, singing uh, what I think is the song from The Wiz. It is.
0: It's Ease on Down the Road from The Wiz, which in the film was sung by uh, young Michael Jackson. That is one of the timestamps that I had, too. The movie itself for The Wiz came out in 1978, but in 85, there was a Broadway revival of The Wiz that was happening.
1: And uh, maybe Cyborg had seen it the other day. I love the idea of Cyborg putting on a fedora and a trench coat and going to see a Broadway show.
0: I like it too. The other timestamp that I had for this issue is from the tennis game, the fact that they are using wooden rackets. 85 would have been one of the last years that that probably would have been a common thing for people to be using with uh, with tennis rackets. But the, uh, the old style uh, wood rackets was what they were using in their... Apparently, full size tennis court that they have within the Titan Tower. That place is awesome. It's got a lot of shit in there.
1: So, what did they replace the wood with?
0: Uh, oftentimes, graphite, uh, various types of metal. Uh, composite graphite is probably the most common. Hmm. But it's just its much lighter, and you can really get a lot of higher speed uh, serves, particularly, but just it, you get more power out of it. You can hit a ton harder. It's why it was really weird in, I think it was the early 90s, Bjorn Borg attempted a comeback, and he used wooden rackets, and he did not do well. Why do you use wooden rackets? Uh, it was what he was comfortable with. It was the last racket that he had used before he had retired. And he's just like, I'm still great at everything. I can still do this. And
1: yeah, not a, not a great idea. Good to know. I'll take a lesson from Bjorn Borg's book and make sure not to use a wooden racket if I ever play tennis. Good plan. Thank you. Tennis is hard. It is hard. I played tennis in high
0: school. I was terrible at it. Mm. I was not great. We did not win a lot of matches, but I would keep stripes of electrical tape on the side of my racket every time I hit somebody during a match with a tennis ball. (laughs) (laughs) I had six stripes on my racket by the end of the season. Very intimidating. Not good sportsmanship. Nope. But... I had a terrible serve, and so I would. people would often come up to the net against me, and I would try to keep them away from the net as best I could. I had a pretty decent forehand. I could do a pretty good decent backspin. My topspin was not particularly strong, but uh, I had a pretty
1: good baseline forehand. So is Real Tennis or Nintendo Wii Tennis more challenging?
0: Both are very challenging in very
1: different ways.
0: I would say that Real Tennis is probably a little more challenging.
1: I think so. I feel like I was pretty good at the Wii tennis, but so bad at the regular one. Mm. But then again, I only tried the regular one once, and my friend who really knew how to play very well was not a good teacher, and he just just, made me lose a lot, and I didn't like it.
0: When you're first starting off, if you don't know what you're doing, one of two things is going to happen. Either the other person's just going to hit it in places that you can't get to, and that's no fun, or you're going to hit the ball as hard as you can, and then it's going to go over the fence which is kind of fun the first time it happens, but it does make it difficult to have a game.
1: Yep. And that's been the Tennis Hour with <laughs> The Hub and The Cory. Hub and A Cory. Nope. <laughs> I don't like the way that's not... That's not cool.
0: Well, The Cory. Thank you. Let's take this party to the Bozone. What instance of a character calling another character a bozo did you like the best be it literal
1: or metaphorical i went with a third option which was made up one because i couldn't find a good insult so i just liked to imagine that during the tennis match where donna says all right dick let's see what if you've still got it that she meant it in the mean way not oh. that that was his name way
0: That's, well, that's not fair, but I I still appreciate it. I went with another, not made up, but different interpretation of what was being said. And it was also during the tennis match. There's actually a couple from the tennis match. One of them is a fun bit of banter that Dick and Starfire are engaging in, where Donna and Terry are rubbing in about how great they are at tennis. And they're saying, Don't worry, you two. We'll still toss you a few crumbs when Terry and I are rich and famous. That's kind of fun. Coriander deadpans. It's great to have friends. And Dick responds, wish I had some. That's fun. Mm -hmm. But the one that I decided was a character calling another character a bozo was during their second tennis match. They are just about to lose and... Donna is talking about the fact that she thinks that Beast Boy is full of shit about thinking that Jericho is up to some nefarious stuff. Mm -hmm. She says, I don't think I've ever met a more guileless man in my life. Dick says, I agree, but Gar thinks. And Starfire says, oh no, not again. I chose to believe that that was her reaction to the idea of Gar thinking. Ah... What I believe it is supposed to be in reaction to is the fact that they have just lost the tennis match. Mm -hmm. But the timing of it is that Dick says, Garth thinks, and Starfire says, oh no, not again. Mm
1: -hmm. Because
0: nothing good happens of Garth thinking things. Mm -mm. So that was what I decided to go with with my Bozone. I might also include... Cyborg using the, uh, the nickname Feathers when Dick is around as a uh, razzing him about his old hippie infiltrating days. Mm-hmm. Part of his own personal operation, Cointel Pro. Feathers, good one. Yeah,
1: zing. Zing. All right, Hotshot, what's your favorite panel? Uh, I had two to choose from. They both are nice, you know, from a graphic design perspective. One we talked about already, and it's a zooming in on Gar's face when he's yelling no at the judge or at the courtroom in general. I
0: enjoyed that too. It's got those lines coming off of his face that I tend to associate with manga, Mhm, mm-hmm. but it's a, it's a cool looking panel.
1: But I think what tops that for me is uh, shortly before she's attacked by Deathstroke, maybe. I'm pretty sure not Deathstroke. I get the impression that that's a lawyer trick. I think so too. But before that, on page three, Lil is on the raft headed out to Titan Central, but it's just washed with 80s sunset poster colors and uh, the silhouette of her body standing there on the raft floating into the sunset, and it is very nicely rendered. I really enjoyed that, too. I thought, good
0: job when I saw that. That was one of the two that it came down to for me. But uh, I'll let you have the Lilith sunset, and I will go with... A panel I like to call Jurassic Parks and Recreation, which is the panel of them standing on the tennis court as Cyborg has fixed the holographic projector and is making it olden dinosaur times in the background while they are playing tennis. I want very much to go hang out there.
1: In the Titan Tower? It looks like a really cool place. What What if Beast Boy's there? I'd, it would be annoying, probably, but... You'd still want to hang I'd out there? I'd still kind of want to see the holographic tennis court thing
0: it looks pretty cool you'd have to play tennis though you don't like tennis well uh, i could get some lessons that's true i bet they have like some kind of a ball retrieval system so they, too. they got all kinds of things man they got all the gadgets
1: what was your favorite fashion sartorially speaking i would like to call attention to all the tennis outfits there are some good tennis outfits. the
0: The two that that I appreciated the most were Terry's and Wonder Girls. That was the
1: best. Yeah, man. Especially Terry's. Uh, sh- well, his his whole deal matches, but the shirt was was really green and, and white fresh. argyle. Yep. Definitely uh old
0: school tennis sweater type of look. Probably some
1: what were they called? Stan Smith Adidas. Those Pro- green yeah. and white ones. I
0: think those are probably the kind he's wearing. Yeah, no, it's it's a nice look and. Donna is wearing a very simple white tennis dress, but she still has a little bit of Wonder Girl flair to it. She has uh, her Wonder Girl belt made out of uh, little gold stars that she is wearing around her waist with the plain white tennis dress. And it's really nice looking. it's a good look. Yeah, the tennis outfits are indeed nice. Other outfits you have, the defense attorney is wearing a suit with a red vest under it. I Enjoyed that. I think it's a sharp look for him. There's the weird outfit that the uh, amnesiac angel is wearing, which conceals his hips
1: but not his uh, ding dongular region. It's an odd choice. So the panel on page 18, where he's flying in in a previous one, it does look like it actually covers his ding dong region. But so maybe that one where he looks so on page 14, you think it's a uh,
0: coloring issue. Rather than a strange and eldritch horror that prevents us from recognizing his strange and eldritch dingdongular region with our human minds,
1: well, how would they have been able to draw it with their human minds otherwise?
0: well, I don't know i, I think that Rich Buckler might be practicing automatic drawing where he he isn't necessarily he's more channeling the um the strange and otherworldly force of the uh, angel man's ding dong. That could be dangerous. It it could be, but, you know, he's a, he's an artist. And he's willing to take risks for his craft. It makes me wonder if maybe that's why we were not able to see uh, Conan's and sometimes Namor's nipples. Do those dudes just have super weird nipples that our our minds just can't find any purchase on
1: because they're so inhuman? Well, there was a lot of that going on in comics in the, back in the day.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of dudes just had super weird nipples. What do you think was going on with uh with Namor's nipples? <laughs> what what kind of weird otherworldly nipples did that do? Did the Prince of Abslantis have? Do you think maybe it just looked super weird and we can't recognize him because his nipples are super ripped? Do his nipples have abs on them? Well, his abs have abs, so it stands yeah. to reason that his nipples would also have abs. Or just like weird, like strange underseen nipples that have their own eight packs.
1: Yeah, you're right. I can't get my brain to visualize what you're talking about. That's it what. Is, it, that's it what is going on is there. It's like a Lovecraftian horror from beyond.
0: Yeah. It's the it real the color out of space deal. Mm. Dude's mm. got an eight pack on his nipples and we just cracked that case. Nice work, Corey. We just solved a art crime. Nice work. <laughs> every episode of a Teen Titans comic has a Aqualad, the greatest of all Teen Titans, and it also has a Speedy, the worst of Teen Titans. In this issue, who was your
1: Speedy? In this issue, for several reasons, mostly just because I generally don't like the guy, I had Gar, Hmm. but yeah, he did a bad job furthering the results that he was hoping for, you know, the uh, punishment by death of... Malicious kidnapping. Well, I don't think it would be death by malicious kidnapping. I don't think that would be the means of execution. Right? Oh, I thought you They're had to. They're not going to kidnap him to death. I thought you had to. The punishment fit the
0: crime. Oh. That is some Twilight Zone shit criminal justice system we would have going on. Mm-hmm. Man. So they would have to kidnap him to death. Just
1: over and over and over. And then (laughs) just just, like fill him
0: with illegal weapons. Yeah. Yeah. And damage his property till he died of it. Messed up. Yeah.
1: Harsh. But anyway, he just makes a nuisance of himself in court and yells and is a jerk. And also because of his thinking, he made uh, Dick and Starfire lose their tennis match. Yeah. So bad job. (laughs) Gar.
0: There's that and the fact that uh, really the whole conflict could have been avoided if he would have allowed himself to participate in the strangulation mind control test. That too. Missed opportunity. No, I agree that he did a bad job, but I was genuinely angry at Dick in this issue uh, for being such a dick and for not even allowing his mind to recognize the possibility that Lilith knew what she was talking about. It is just such a level of bullshit. And yeah, what I wrote down in my notes was, Dick, listen to women! It's a continual inability that he seems to display, and it's very, very frustrating. I certainly like Nightwing more than I like Beast Boy, but he is being such a dick in this, and I don't think he recognizes that he really is just not even entertaining the possibility that... Lilith should be in control of her own fate and knows what she is doing. It's real bullshit. And I don't like it. And I don't like Dick in this because of it. So that's why I had him for my Speedy. Fair enough. Conversely,
1: who is your Aqualad? She braves fire. She saves overzealous cyborgs that accidentally jump out <laughs> windows. She has reservations which <laughs> she should listen to about catching triple I voted for Starfire.
0: Why is cyborg so bad at jumping in this issue
1: yeah, i don't know his wiring's all wackadoodle
0: he's used to jumping around like that like generally when he gets upset rips off all his clothes and jumps real high he's
1: never had a problem landing before mm-hmm. he's got like those like hydraulics like he can land fine and he really screws his trajectory up bad because he's got enough time to like talk as he's like tumbling towards his imminent <laughs> death and he's like hey did Starfire, I see you're flying over there. How about you come <laughs> and make it so I don't die? He he
0: really fucks up a lot. But he did make a nice projector that made uh, it possible for me to make the joke Jurassic Parks and Rec. So, uh... Good job, Cyborg. Good job.
1: Ger- good job. <laughs> hey, Coach C. He is probably freaked out because of Star Labs.
0: Yeah, he has some pretty bad memories of Star Labs. It's weird that he goes and hangs out there as much as he does. Mm-hmm. Also probably has some pretty bad memories of being on the phone with them. Those guys are terrible at phone calls. That is true. My Aqualad was Lilith. She trusted herself. She listened to herself. And in terms of combat prowess, she pretty much takes out all of the Teen Titans. Before she then gets knocked out by them. And then there's a really weird scene where the angel guy is thinking to himself, I want to stay here and protect this woman. But nope. Yoink. And he just flies away. (laughs) But uh, Lilith does a good job. She has kind of weird taste in dudes. Where she seems drawn to dudes who are real fishes out of water, who don't speak any English and can't communicate with people of our world. Like, first Gnark, then this guy. Still, no idea what the fuck happened to Gnark.
1: Still wandering Jupiter (laughs) Towers. Yeah. Eating old Twix.
0: Poor fella. Well, Corey... I have but one further question I must put to you. Okay. Wapoot! In the year of our Lord, 1985, and the month of our Lord, May,
1: what was Aqualad probably up to? I'll tell you what he was up to. He was drowning his sorrows in the biggest vat of haagen he could find, because that's what he does when he's sad. Oh. He eats was haagen uh introduced then? Oh, I don't know. I just think of that as an 80s brand of Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, why was he so sad, Corey? He was so sad because Reginald, Reginald was his favorite fish oh. in the world. Oh. He lost Reggie, and uh, he had been kind of coaching and raising Reggie and doing agility, fish agility with him and giving him supplements. And, like, oh, boy. he had raised this Chinook salmon to be a champion among fish. How how big did this uh, salmon get, Corey? He got to be 97 pounds and 4 ounces. That's a big fish. It is a big fish. And then uh, Reggie got out, had the yearning to go, you know, do what salmon gotta do, headed up to Alaska. And then, sadly, on the 17th of May, 1985, fisherman by the name of Les Anderson hooked Reggie, hauled him in, set a record for biggest fish caught, biggest salmon. Biggest heartbreak for Aqualad. Biggest heartbreak. So he's just hanging out in Atlantis reminiscing over old fish agility photographs. Oh. Crying into his Hoganaz. That's a sad day for Aqualad. Oh, that is sad. Yeah, I think uh I think I know
0: why he was so distracted that he let Reginald escape. Hmm. Because earlier in the month he was sad for a different reason. Oh no. Well You know that Aqualad likes to read the funny pages, right? Sure. Well, he loved Dick Tracy. He liked the colorful villains that were As would, uh, much as he loved with Kathy? He, I think more than he loved <laughs> Kathy. Okay. But he was upset because uh, Chester Gould, the creator of one of his heroes, Dick Tracy, which was one of the reasons he wanted to get into crime fighting to begin with, uh, died at what to Aqualad sounded like of the tender age of 83 people tend to live longer in Atlantis Uh, sea strength yeah sea strength and uh hearts yeah if you you cut an Atlantean open and count the rings there's usually about 120 of them for uh for your average Atlantean a lot of rings yeah and the message that Aqualad took away from that was like you know what man life is short and you really need to follow your inspiration where it leads you and and just uh Engage in what your passion is, and the thing that he was passionate right about right then was playing chess, because there was a very popular song called <laughs> "One Night in Bangkok," that was uh, had reached number three on the charts in May of 1985. Somehow, it's, 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 I love that song. I know you're not. <laughs> I think it's a good song, Corey. One town's very like another one. Your head's bent over your pieces, brother. Oh, ding, da, 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 ding, ding, ding. One night in Bangkok and the world's your oyster. You see, and it's that kind of imagery. It's like, the world's your oyster? Huh, I should play chess. Some of the, those bishop pieces look like my pal Super Grover. He got really, really into playing chess. And so he maybe dedicated too much time concentrating on chess. He has a very brilliant, sea-strengthened, analytical mind. <laughs> And he got pretty good pretty quick, but he had his head bent over his pieces, brother. Oh, one city was like another? Yep, and uh, when that's what's going on, Reginald's going to get loose, swim to Alaska, and get caught by Les Anderson. Damn! I know, I know. And to this day, Aqualad, who I think otherwise would enjoy films like Bottle Rocket or... Rushmore, just can't. The name Wes Anderson is too close. He hears that and he thinks it was old oh, dear friend Reggie. Reginald. He, he, he tries to watch the Royal Tenenbaums and he just can't. As soon as the opening credits roll, he just starts going,
1: Reggie! Reggie! Oh, oh. Anytime he hears whimsical music.
0: <laughs> oh, boy. Anybody tries playing a harmonium anytime near him for any soundtrack. He's just like, Reggie! Oh, Which is a shame because otherwise I think he would really enjoy the Life Aquatic. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Reggie! <laughs> no.
0: And that's what Aqualad was probably up to. Rough month. May. Rough month for him indeed. And rough issue.
1: Things I- are rough all over.
0: Boy. Hope it wasn't too rough for you to listen to this episode. We did our best. <laughs> I did my best, but uh, we tried. As I tell you, told you up front, I am <laughs> like the newborn only child of overprotective parents. I am thoroughly wiped. <laughs> I have no such excuse, but... Eh. You know what, Cory? Hmm. You're the Cory. Thank you. And you guys are the audience. Thanks so much for listening. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all up in the internets, in their many forms. The tweeting as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You can get caught up in our cyber web like you were a real Reginald the Prize Salmon. Reggie! Yeah, if you would like to get into touch with us, you can do so at ttwasteland@gmail.com. at and if you would like to leave us a review on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you're listening to these podcasts, I think that would be a nice thing for you to do. Maybe don't specifically review this episode mm. episode Good call, but in general, uh say nice things about us. It's a nice time for us when nice things are said. It makes us feel happy. fills us with joy, joy joy and love, mirth, yeah happiness happiness so you know you want us to feel those common human emotions <laughs> that we experience because we're humans men from earth i'm definitely a human man from earth yep Corey, you're a human man from earth right of course yeah so yeah and if you would like to give us some of your earth dollars you can do so at patreon.com slash Wasteland for all of your giving us your human earth money needs. If you do decide to donate as little as one human earth dollar a month, you get access to the show that I host with Lisa, What the Duck, a podcast most foul, but with a W, because he's a duck, that's the full name of the show. Our monthly Howard the Duck podcast. New episode of that should be going up pretty soon. And there's some uh, videos on there. If you donate at a certain level, I'll mail you a comic book from my collection with a note as to why I have picked that issue out for you. All these things for a pittance of your human earth dollars. Or human earth dollars. ours, As, Hours. as, as Hours. we are humans from earth. All of them. All right. Well, we'll see you later. Goodbye, everybody. Thank you so much. And we, sorry. We love you. You're great. All the way. Catch the wave of the future and hang ten on it with us, oh. <laughs> oh, Reggie.
1: to eddie to eddie Rams with reggie
0: oh I wonder what kind of shenanigans they're getting up to together
1: <laughs> otter and a salmon Ooh. do you think reggie can slam dunk well yeah i mean but, but like water in the water yeah do you think he can blow himself the salmon have penises i don't
0: know maybe
1: I think they just have, like, a...
0: Maybe their dicks just have a ton of abs on them, and so that's
1: why we The human mind them. can't comprehend the fish penis. That's it. <laughs> Your fish penis that ripped. It <laughs> <laughs> is there... Mind, mind blown.